UK Motor Talk. Hi everyone, we are back. I'm Mike. I'm Jim. I wonder if you've missed me. Hands up if you noticed I was gone. Hello, I'm Graham. And I'm Dave, and we've got a full compliment. How is everyone doing? We're all good. Yeah, I think a, a slightly calmer week this week, so that's a, that's a good thing. Although I had completely forgotten about this as well, so it all, uh, it all feels very short notice and, uh, and rushed, so maybe it'll be full of energy, who knows. Did you just forget last time as well? Uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. I just, yeah, couldn't be bothered. That was on a, on, a, on a Good Samaritan mission last time. Well, welcome to you, Jim, and welcome everybody to UK Motor Talk. I hope you're all doing well. So, what's new, guys? What's What have you been up to since we last spoke? Uh, well, I've been watching all the Formula One, I would say car launches, but it's not, they're not really car launches, are they? They're livery launches. So, um, yeah, it's, we look at the pretty pictures of the cars or the pretty computer generated images of the cars. And that's, uh, that's been about it really, but there's some nice ones out there, but I'm sure we'll have a, a little run through them. I have no doubt we'll come back to F1 in just a bit. I've been driving around the West Country. It was half term and we thought we'd take ourselves off for a, a few nights away, which was very pleasant. And uh, went to visit the Tank Museum down in Bovington. So uh, oh, yeah. so we're sort of on topic, but uh, tracked as opposed to uh, wheeled. But yeah, it was, it was lovely down there. And I have to say, standard of driving down there, damn sight better than it is around our way. Mm. Is that because everybody has a tank around there, so you kind of have to drive carefully, <laughs> otherwise you get run over or blown up? It, it is military land, so perhaps people do sort of try and avoid cutting people up, because you never know, it might be an off-duty squaddy in the car you're about to sort of plough into the back of because you're on your phone or something, and they tend to uh, take that sort of thing with slightly less humour than others, maybe. I don't know, but uh, I don't know, it just, it just stood out. Perhaps it's because I'm so used to driving in and out of London every day where everyone's a psychopath and uh, people down there take things a little <laughs> bit more quietly. Um, anyway, it was a pleasant change. There's definitely a big difference between um, even driving down here, we're sort of south coast, and driving around London and certain parts of Essex, I suppose, as well, really. You've got to do... If you, if anyone remembers Monkey Dust, the whole London-Essex Essex oh, thing, yeah. yes. yes. Um, th- this is a very niche reference that definitely that a very small percentage of anyone listening will know. But by that very small percentage... That, that sounds like a euphemism for a, oh. uh, you know, a conscious-enhancing... <laughs> narcotic it could well be if you've ever seen it yeah the whole thing is a euphemism um it is it is thoroughly excellent i suggest if you haven't seen it before and you're over the age of 18 that you might might want to might want to to look that up if you're not ask your parents um or grandparents potentially i don't know i found (laughs) out this week that um i am the same age as the mother of one of the uh, one of the girls that works for us which made me feel ancient Absolutely. Just, just to clarify as well, we, we don't employ child labour. The the person that works for us is what, eighteen, nineteen, something like that. Yeah. Their mum is so, the yeah, same so, age. So, as you. Yeah, made me feel absolutely ancient. But yeah, driving driving around London is, is a different experience. And I'm sure anyone that's done this will will agree. People are a bit more aggressive. There's all kinds of kamikaze, just eat, and and all the other ones that that <laughs> uh, type of scooter drivers that cut across the front of you. No one bothers really signalling and lots of people just push their way in. There's, there doesn't seem to be a lot of courtesy. Everyone's in a big rush to get everywhere. Maybe it's just my bad luck driving through London. I've had to do a bit in the not so distant past. Driving things like rangers, which are which are obviously a big old big old truck. And yeah, you, you kind of very have to be very alert when you're driving through. And and certainly I, you would you'd argue perhaps that the West Country has a slightly slower pace of life 
bit like when you go through the Isle of Wight, it's like travelling back in time. <laughs> and everything's a little bit calmer, perhaps, down there. But I, I, I do hear you on that. I've never really had a problem driving in London. I actually passed my test in London many, many years ago, of course. But I still drive in London quite often. Uh, we're normally up there once or twice a month. So I suppose you just get fairly blasé about it. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's 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 city driving. It's um, as aggressive as anywhere else. I mean, it's probably not quite the same as driving in Rome. That I can't recommend. But um, other European cities are just as bad, I think. Yeah, there's a there's a, a definite change of pace when you get to Italy. I remember being on a road trip and we'd uh, you know wended our way up and down Europe and France and Germany and Belgium and Liechtenstein and here and there and everywhere. And then we're driving along. The, I felt the phone vibrate and it would always go off with a text message from uh, whatever phone company I was with at the time saying, "Oh, welcome to such and such." And uh, there was one road where we kept crossing in and out of countries. We got 15 text messages on one bit of road. <laughs> but I felt the uh, the phone go off, and I thought, oh, have we moved countries yet? And then uh, and then right on cue, a, a Fiat overtook on the wrong side of the road, blasting the horn, and then squeezed in a gap in between a lorry. And it's like, I reckon we're in Italy now, I think. And it turns out that we were in Italy, but it was quite uh, it was quite obvious. But I think well, it's, it's like anything else, though, driving in in a... In a busy city, you just uh, you get used to it, don't you? I think it's the the best mm. thing is watch watch videos of um, uh, bikes for whatever city it is you're about to visit. So you watch the London one, and there's some good aggression and things going on there. But there's a there's a guy I've seen on YouTube, and he rides. Uh, I think it's um, uh, possibly Brooklyn somewhere like that. But he uh, he just rides around on his bike, singing at everyone, and he's got his own little song. And, you know, the lyrics are something along the lines of, you know, bike lane, you're in the bike lane, get out of the bike lane, get out of the way. And he just rides around singing this at the top of his voice. And then there's another guy that just barks at people and shouts at people as he rides past them and nearly takes them out. It's, it's very fun viewing, but you've uh, you certainly got to have your wits about you. Um, certainly for, for bikes in London, it's, um, yeah, you could quite easily mm. get taken out by one if you're not careful. I can just imagine a cabbie now leaning back out the window and going, red light, you've gone for a red light, or something at the uh, much the same time. You've gone for a red light, get out of the way. I can can see that they're being, I mean, it's it's an argument as, I would also say as old as time, but certainly it feels like it's as old as time between bikes and cars, and let's let's not go back there now. Oh, God, yeah. Um, I, I have some news, actually, and that is that I have decided to retire the Mini this year. Dun, dun, dun. I know, which you, which you know that I that I love, and there is good reason for this. So, well, in fact, there's several reasons. Firstly, the mini is now or will be this year twenty years old. I've owned it for about five of those, which means it's actually older by quite some margin than the onion was when I bought it. Which seems it was the onion felt like a very old car then, and the mini doesn't, to so my it's, mind, it's, it's old enough to old. be your child. Going back oh, to our uh, earlier employee conversation, right. I knew I shouldn't have mentioned this. I knew this was going to come back to haunt me. Uh, the other reason is my actual children, as opposed to theoretically possible children. The thing is with a Mini, and people that own these will know, for getting kids in the bag, it can be a bit tricky. Your Mini, just to, uh, to clarify and put it in everyone's mind's eye, if they haven't seen the pictures on any of our socials, then uh, it's it's a proper Mini, isn't it? Well, I say a proper Mini, a proper Binny. It's a three-door, none of this yes. countryman, clubman, yep. estate, touring, SUV, wagon. It's... It's not a mini beast. It's a. Uh, it's one of the early supercharged Mini Cooper S's. One of the Frank Stevenson ones from the early noughties. So it's 
it's ones that uh, that that go well, rust well, and uh, and rattle well. One of those type of of, of minis <laughs> make a nice whining noise and cost a, a billion pounds to tax. But yeah, so Ozzy's nearly four. He can stand in the footwell at the back, get himself into the seat, strap himself in, which is fine. And when he was smaller, there used to be a bit of a technique for getting the car seat. In. Now this is the smaller car seat that you carry around. The issues are this really. First, it doesn't have eyes to fix, which is you can get around that problem. You can get um, seats you can belt in. And when there was just one car seat, it wasn't so much of a problem. So when when Oz was small, what I would do is well, you could either put him in through the front, but that involved effectively you put the seat all the way as far forward as it would go, and then you had to turn the car seat through ninety degrees. So as if he's going through some sort of acrobatics, aerobatics, as you try and lift him in, turn him round for a ninety degree angle, and then lower him onto the seat. Then you have to stand in the footwell bent over 90 degrees like some sort of giant and then strap the seat in that was a bit of a faff so i figured the best thing to do otherwise was put the back seat down open the the, um the tailgate go straight through the back of the through the boot over to the side and then you could reach through the boot and lock him in which looked absolutely ridiculous to everybody uh, as they walked past to just see my my short legs sticking out the boot whilst i was trying to strap him in which must have just looked absolutely ridiculous but with two of course you can't do that because you've got a car seat on one side and you're trying to put a car seat in the other. And when it's raining and cold and you've got to drop kids off to preschool or school or nursery or whatever, it's just not fun. Can you take so, the front seat out, take the passenger seat out, a bit like a, uh, a Beetle taxi in Mexico City, they just take the front seat out so it's easier to get uh, in the back. I, I suppose yeah, so. You have to leave the, the missus at home. but You can always have a sunroof put in. I've got a sunroof. Well, there you go. Take the sunroof out permanently and... Um... Converted to a rag top, but then you can insert two child seats through the through the sunroof. That's there we a good go. idea. Apart from when it's raining, I suppose, in which case everyone gets very miserable. Never um, rains in this country. You know better than that. Well, to be fair, it hasn't rained in this country. Well, it hasn't rained properly in this country for what seems like forever, hasn't it? Because the roads mm. are just a greasy, salty, sugary, sticky, slippery, horrible mess. I mean, it's good fun for skidding about on, but the car gets filthy and it's um yeah very quite filthy. slippy out at the moment. So the Mini is being retired anyway. It's being used for um, high days, holidays, and the occasional trip into work, I suppose, when it, when the weather's fine, just to try and look after it a bit. Now it's it's becoming a bit of an old girl. Um, and just to try when and your other new nice. car is broken. Yes. So the, this is... Which, this which is, is about thing. 98% of the time you've owned it so far. Mm. You bought, bought something far newer and more reliable, but it is entirely broken. Yes. So this this is a problem. The backstory to this is that uh, my my mum and my dad, one had a, a Puma or Puma. The other had a, my dad had a Focus ST. Mum loved the Puma. Dad loved the ST. And so they decided that their retirement car would be a Puma ST. So they've gone for a full spec, bright green, popping and banging, the whole bit with the big, big wheels on it. Puma ST, which is, which, as far as SUVs go, is a pretty good one. So I recommend that decision. But I figured the car that dad was getting rid of was a, a top spec Focus ST, which was new in 2016. And it's got all the all the options ticked apart from the big wheels, which ruins the, the ride and the handling a bit, to be honest. It's just better on 18s. And I couldn't really bear to see the car being traded in. So I figured probably now is a good time to go for something with five doors. Why not? The issue that we've got, I think, is that mum and dad have a very steep drive that goes onto the road. And at some point, the car's bottomed out. You can't really tell because like most cars, it has an undertray underneath and you can see where it's scuffed. But I think what's happened is when it's hit the ground, it's kinked the fuel line. That split the fuel line. And this must have become a problem that's that's got worse over time because it started to rust around where the kink was. And uh, I was parked on the drive 
the other night when they would really smell fuel out here and ended up getting it into the garage and the lads took a look underneath and went yeah you, you're basically peeing fuel out everywhere when you're driving along so you need to ground that now um so i, I am i'm one car down so the new car is already down the under tray being the wonderful absorbent material that it is acts as kind of yes. a, a sponge and a store for fuel mm-hmm. doesn't it which yep. is suboptimal but it is otherwise immaculate broken but uh but immaculate uh <laughs> hopefully we'll be back on the road again soon but there you go so so new car story and a new one for the uh for the ukmt fleet i'm looking forward to taking that on a track day soon that'll be good it does mean <laughs> hmm, yeah it's not happening um is it there's more of a gt car yeah more, more of a gt car too. um it does mean that i have for a change not had the burning desire to buy something this week uh, and this is a this is a, a perennial problem and, and regular listeners will know that i've taken to buying hot wheels cars whenever i get the the urge to buy something this is the nicotine patch to my car <laughs> buying a cigarette I, I can't help myself i have something wrong with me i think but I, I just can't help myself but look for things on the likes of marketplace or ebay or whatever other auction sites uh or classified sites that are available. Um, and if you want to sponsor the sponsors, guys, then we will just plug you to the end. Um, just, you know, just, just let us know. Um, and I spotted one thing, which I think is a beauty. And this was a five pot. So you might guess where this is going. It's going to think probably either Audi or Volvo. And if you thought, thought Volvo, then yes, you're correct. Um, but a beautiful green 850 uh, saloon. Five pot 2.4, I think it was. Bit of a beauty, that one. And make a nice noise. I'm not sure how long it's uh, it's been listed up for, but every time I um, look at Facebook now, it pings up and it says, "Oh, that uh, that car you looked at is now three hundred pounds cheaper." So it's uh, it's only what is it eight hundred quid? It seems like a lot of car for the money. I mean, literally, it's a lot of car. It would weigh a lot, but and the price of uh, of metal these days, it's probably worth that just in uh, in metal weight alone. I would think. Well, when I bought Brad, my beloved V70, uh, I did counter how much i spent on the car with how much it weighed i knew it was worth about 210 quid in scrap and i think it owed me something like 270 quid so from that aspect i figured i couldn't really lose my liability was only ever 60 quid so i guess if you look at it like that not bad well the five pot um volvos particularly the 850s and obviously later the v70s and so on were particular favorites of the uh our friends in blue or Battenberg yellow and blue these days, weren't they? Whenever whenever you ask a traffic policeman of your, what was your favourite police car? They'll go T5. And it doesn't matter which flavour mm. of T5, it will be T5 mm. because they were bulletproof, they went like hell and uh, they were reliable and they made a great noise. And it's quite interesting now with the, uh, shall we say, uh, the difficulties that BMW have been experiencing with their uh, engines going on fire uh, so under certain police conditions that we're seeing a lot more Volvos in Battenberg livery back on the roads. And that's quite yeah. interesting to see that. Uh, it does also mean, though, that there's an awful lot more unmarked police cars that we're now having to look out for that aren't Audi. Well, they're probably still Audis, but uh, there's less BMWs sneaking around with the, the hidden mm. aerials and the incredibly blacked out rear window. So... Uh, for those of us who are out and about on the roads, it's a new game. But yes, it's quite nice to see Volvos again. That's why I bought one, actually, when I uh, fell into a conversation with one of the traffic guys and um, he was singing the praises. And so I'm now on my third V70. They've all been incredibly high mileage. They're just sort of bulletproof, basically. Mm. The conversation went along the lines of, we sell them on when they get to 225,000, 250, uh, because they're still viable then to buy. 
uh, and they've been you know they're well maintained um, uh, they're, all the police fleets are so yes they might be in use 24 hours a day uh, hard driven at times but they do last and last and last. Mine's up to just under 150 now. I guess just that it's maybe 150,000 yeah, miles. It, it, it'll That'd do 300,000. Yeah, it'll give us another 50 to 100 easily, I think. Mm. An ex police car 850 T5 wagon would have made the perfect cheap track day toy, wouldn't it? Because you could have uh, decked it out in the proper Volvo livery from 1994 and uh, and off you go. That would have been quite spectacular. There'd have been a lot of love for that on a track day as well, I think. When you say perfect track day toy, in the same way that, hmm. yes, as the articulated lorry or something's the perfect track day toy, it would get round. It, sort of it would get engine, a lot of love. You'd be the most powerful one. You could uh, there'd be loads of room in the back of it for all your tools and spares and this, that, the other. You could sleep mm. in the back of it if you had to have an overnight at the track. You'd be well away. It'd be a lot more fun if you left the blue lights and everything on it, and then just <laughs> whizzed around the track with those flashing. But then you might get confused with the marshals, I suppose. So yeah, it could go horribly wrong. Yeah, blue flags get out of the way. Flashy blue lights, perfect. When the eight fifty first came into the UK, I had a, a really early one on road test. And at the time, I used to commute every Sunday morning to Truxton for my home in Worthing. And I think the fastest journey time was in that 850 because they just really handled so well. So, yeah, I would take one on as a track car and have done so on Silverstone and uh, was very impressed with it. I'm reliably informed, by the way, that the car that the, the traffic guys do still go for the keys for is is the Volvo. It is the one that uh, that they're still looking for. But this particular car, in case you're wondering and in case you're interested, is green on the outside, off-white on the inside. It is a 2.4 litre. It's near Sutton, to give you an idea to where to look. And it was last started four years ago with only 191,000 miles. All the paperwork's there, but he has an attempt to start it. So £850 for your 850 or £800, in fact it is, that's got to be a brilliant but otherwise risky purchase, I would reckon. I do like the way it said, uh, yeah, last started four years ago, but would fire up, no doubt. It's like, well, <laughs> why not just fire it up then, just to say that it does, rather, you know, it. Uh, oh yeah, no MOT, but it will fly through with no advisories. It's like, okay, why not just put a year's MOT on it then, and then you'll get more mm. money for it. One word, Sutton. Hmm. <laughs> Next was another tempting, uh, this is, I thought, a lot of flash for not a lot of cash. Uh, And this is a Disco, Disco 4, was it? Disco 3, Disco 4. This is Land Rover, by the way, in case you're wondering. So seven seats, pretty modern looking, I would say. Looks pretty decent. Looks like it's worth still a a whole chunk of change and certainly a whole lot of liability. Plus, it doesn't look like the back end's been designed by Picasso, which is nice. Proper split level tailgate. What more could you want for £3,000? Value for money. Well, value for money if you can afford to buy it. It's the uh, it's the running it, as I'm sure a lot of people of this parish can tell you. Indeed, that so. is a factor. Just because you can afford to own the thing doesn't mean you can afford to own the thing. And I use the word twice, own. You can own it, but it can just sit there like a lump. It could sit there for four years and not be started, and it would look lovely. But it's going to cost you a fortune if you need wheel bearings, if you need, oh, I don't know, a transfer case, or you do something on the underside of it. Be warned, buyer beware. There's a reason these things are cheap. But yes, absolutely, lovely things to have, but as long as you can afford to run them. Well, I think there was a reasonable-sized car dealer found that out in the last couple of three weeks, didn't they? And they, uh, they had to announce, and uh, you know they'll, uh, they'll remain nameless. I'm sure you can look them up if you want to, but we won't uh, pour misery on, uh, on a 
trader in these tough times, but I think their their closing statement was something along the lines of, uh, unfortunately, a business model that involves selling JLR product and having to provide a warranty with such product was no longer financially viable. And it was it summed it up quite well. Is that even though there was a presumably a reasonable chunk in selling them in the first place, it simply wasn't able to uh, to sustain the warranty they had to offer on them. Well, famously, you know, I'm a big fan of Doug Demuro, who's our friend from across the pond, who uh, makes quite amusing and entertaining videos on quirks and features for YouTube. Uh, he famously ran a, um, I think, one of the last of the L322. Uh, Range Rovers, the nice square ones before they became the sort of longer, slightly more amorphous bar of soap type. And uh, he had that with uh, an, a CarMax warranty, an end-to-end, bumper-to-bumper CarMax warranty, which if you know anything about American motoring, CarMax are the people that will warranty your car and look after it for you, and if anything goes wrong, you can claim on it. And if you've got the full-on bumper-to-bumper, platinum, whatever, anything that goes wrong with it, uh, they will shell out for. And he made quite a lot of his uh, viewing figures from doing just that when everything that went wrong with it was paid for by CarMax. I think he got basically the value of the car a couple of times over from the fixes that were done to it at their expense. So, you know, again, mm. caveat emptor, buyer beware, or have a uh, CarMax warranty if you're in the States. Well, this this thing, in case you're, you're interested in wondering, uh, is a Disco 3, my mistake. I had got my numbers muddled up there. Um, this has done uh, 160,000 miles, which the person has put in brackets Nothing for these engines. Instantly suspicious. Um, Two point seven liters must, must be reliable to have done one hundred and sixty thousand miles. Yeah. Then surely you want to wear it like a badge, don't you? My Land Rover has done one hundred and sixty thousand miles. Um, will come with twelve months MOT. So immediately, that's either going to be um, a lot of the liability taken care of, I suppose, in terms of is it roadworthy or not, um, or it will be bent. Um, Heated and electric seats, sat nav, Bluetooth, rear DVD player, auto lights, air suspension, fully working. Runs oh, that's drives. unusual. Yeah. Uh, and hideously expensive to fix if it does go wrong. Air suspension by the Montgolfier brothers, usually. <laughs> uh, runs and drives perfectly. Your parents. <laughs> starts first time and comes with a private plate. And suspiciously, we'll consider a Partex for a transit crew cab tipper. So Change of interesting. Pace. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine that's that has done some work. It's the kind of thing, when you see a digger advertised, and I have looked at one of those recently, JCB3CX, in case you're wondering, um, it's the kind of thing you'd imagine has probably had a lot of things in the back of it. But anyway, a, a, a potentially a dirty back end. And there are, I think, no pictures of the boot, incidentally. But these are otherwise a perfect, if you want a car that can carry people and things and go pretty much anywhere, and you're okay with the reliability, they are a good size seven seater. You can get a hell of a lot of stuff in the back, and you can sit in the back even as a, a medium sized adult, as uh, as indeed I am, small to medium sized adult in in some ways. I think Andrew and I found out that uh, that rear split tailgate was uh, was uh, the ideal for uh, a camera truck. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, it was just a perfect vehicle for that. Yeah, certainly. It's just whether or not you can take the liability. On a three thousand uh, two hundred and fifty pound Land Rover uh, Disco, there's a there's a lot to go wrong there that could cost you a lot more than three thousand two hundred and fifty pounds, isn't there? You need Definitely. to know a man in the trade who can fix that. You need to find, know well, a man in the trade who wants to fix it. There's well, the yeah, so even that, and then it's a uh, a question of the uh, the parts cost. I mean, the uh, the air suspension thing is uh, like a friend of mine. He had a Mercedes S five hundred 
L, V8, V10, whatever it was. Thing. Lovely, lovely Luxo barge. Went like stink and did about six to the gallon. But it's when the uh, the suspension started to uh, to go on the wonk. And it's like, well, mm, there's a leak from one of the pipes. But if one of the pipes is going, then chances are the rest aren't far behind. But actually, in that one little bit, we can't quite tell if it's coming from this pipe, that pipe, or the other pipes. It was a big jumble of them. Uh, tucked up somewhere. It's like, well, how much are the pipes? And it's like, well, they sort of vary between 100 and 400 pounds each. How many of them are there? 64. That could get expensive quite quickly, couldn't it? Like, yes. Okay. And then so he just parked it up in his car park and then the suspension went totally. So the thing just ground itself out and the tyres were touching the arches. And, uh, and there it sat for the best part of about four years. Uh, and then uh, and then off it went. It had to be lifted away. But I mean, he got a lot of money in scrap value for it because it did weigh about as much as a small planet. But um, yeah, a shame. Just uh, ruinously expensive, though. Well, that's the thing with the discovery. At least there's plenty of them around that have probably found their way to salvage yards and so on. So if you did need bits, you could probably go and filch enough good ones from all the all the ones that have ended up in scrapyards and we're not allowed to call them scrapyards anymore are we uh salvage they uh, call recycling re- re- centers recycling centers thank you very much that's the one so I mean, at least you could go and get the bits at hopefully less than jlr prices but then again you're in the same how long is this bit gonna last and how long is the next bit that i bought is that the reason the thing was stuff? scrapped in the first place but there you go everyone mm. top tip dave's top tip if you're gonna buy one of these things go disco filching <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably time to talk about Formula One, isn't it? Yeah. I, I can hear, I could I can just feel Jim chomping at the bit to talk about this. I'm literally frothing. Yes. Oh, the rumours are true. <laughs> they are. They are. I mean, it's here. Yeah, we've had the uh, the the usual uh, mixed bag of launches, and we've had some incredibly long ones, and some virtual ones, and some glitzy, glamour-filled ones, and then some quite straightforward. There's the car. Get on with it. Okay, we're going now. Bye. Uh, launches, but it's uh, there's, there's been quite a. I mean, it's I, I think it's probably important to say at this stage we we haven't really had any car launches because even if they have shown off what they uh, what they purport to be their 2023 Challenger, um, the designs and so many things will change. And we've had you know certain renders where brake discs or brake duct cooling ducts are on back to front, and one side of the car's pull rod and one side of the car's push rod, and uh, all sorts of weird floor arrangements that just wouldn't work. So all uh, all designed to throw the other teams off the scent. But I think we've had a uh, quite a, a mixed bag of liveries. I mean, we've had the uh, the Haas, which is uh, which is quite a nice looking thing. It's got some you know less Russian sponsored and uh, more MoneyGram sponsored these days. But that's quite uh, an evil looking thing. I mean, a, a common theme running through all of them is uh, is the abundance of black, which is. Um, it's uh, although actually it's not black on a lot of them. It's just bare carbon fiber because they're all still struggling to get down to the uh, the minimum weight. So um, they've taken the paint off them. So there's a there's a oh that's that's a nice black stripe running through. It's like no, we just haven't painted it at all. And it's uh, but it does it does make make a lot of them look quite evil and aggressive. I think but also has the advantage of hiding a lot of the details as well. Um, had the Williams come out and that's and. Uh, bit disappointed by that actually because we saw a few teaser shots and it was Williams golf golf Williams Williams golf golf Williams Williams golf golf Williams oh and it's just a golf sticker is it on pretty much last year's livery but with a bit more carbon fiber on it although I will say the one thing I really do like is they've turned the top of the airbox into a Duracell battery 
So the top of the airbox is black and they've painted the front of the airbox in gold with Duracell on it. So it literally looks like there's a big Duracell battery stuck out the top of it. So I quite like that. But it's I, a neat touch. Yeah, I uh, I like that. But I really did want to see that in uh, in powder blue and, and orange. That would have looked quite nice. But hey, maybe a, a one-off special livery for, uh, for Monaco, perhaps. Red Bull just looks exactly like last year's, and in fact it was presented on last year's car, so it looks exactly like last year's car, so it is last year's car. Uh, the Alfa Romeo, though, I do quite like that, and they've uh, they've taken the white paint off it and replaced it with carbon fibre, but that looks evil. That looks really rather quite nice. I do like the Alfa. Well, one of the things I've noticed this year is, is uh, how late some of the sponsorship deals are being done, even quite major ones. You know, we are imminently into um, the first session with deals still coming in almost minute by minute. I, d I don't remember that in previous years. Maybe I've just been missing that. But uh, whether there's genuinely a shortage of money or whether people that have got the money perhaps being a bit cagier about what they can get for their loot. There's probably not as much money flying around, is there, for marketing at the moment? This is, this is the thing. I know that all brands want to market, but we are in, in the middle of a, a cost of living crisis. It's difficult to to justify spending millions and millions and millions of pounds, I guess, unless you can in some way use your investment or um, the technology you're investing in in some other part of the business, or at least make it look like that. Well, of course, the uh, the other thing as well with the uh, the cost cap these days, there's, um, uh, I don't know, less, less requirement for getting the big sponsors nailed down early i suppose i mean the the current budget cap is is a around about 150 million units of money again i forget how they measure it. i think it's dollars um but not including various things or whether you're rebel or not maybe or maybe not including catering or salaries of your biggest three employees etc so it's a the, there's i suppose less requirement for ridiculously large sums of cash and maybe the teams can be a bit more choosy about it as well perhaps um I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure, but yeah, there's a. There's a, certainly. I mean, McLaren last year in particular, their sponsors seemed to change on a race by race basis, particularly on the rear wing, and it would lead to a couple of special liveries or livery changes. But I think it's um, it's a bit like the Braun really. In in 2009, when that was launched, it just had one sponsor, and that was it, Virgin. And then as the season progressed, a few more sponsors came on board and uh, and filled it in, but. Yeah, the uh, the livery that, as I say, McLaren last year were uh, quite uh, quite famous for it. The um, the amount of colour on the card disappeared, and sponsors appeared, and things changed almost, as I say, race by race. But at least it uh, it kept you on your toes, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the McLaren looks fairly similar-ish to last year. Although one thing I do like is the uh, when viewed from the top, the uh, the orange and the black is a reverse of the old Marlboro colour scheme from uh, from the 90s, which uh, is quite nice. There's a nice little nod to that. I do like that. This may be something we're going to see more and more, the, the, and I think we saw it during the last season particularly, bespoke setups to suit individual markets, to suit individual races and individual sponsors. And there does seem to be, and I suspect we're going to see more of that this year, Jim, as you quite rightly say, um, you're going to get the car tricked up at each race to suit its local sponsors, that local race, uh, and that local market. I quite like the uh, the BAR 
liveries when I think it was a uh, China one year they ran a I think it was only in free practice Anthony Davidson ran a, a 555 livery on the car and it, it looked spectacular now and I think just because it was a one-off and it was unusual it looked really nice but I think like the uh, the McLaren Golf livery that they ran at Monaco I mean that's a combination of being one-off unusual and the Golf livery I mean I, I think we did I'm not sure if they should bake this into the Concord agreement somehow you know there must be an Golf livery on on the grid don't care who it is but somebody has to have one it's a bit like a martini livery it kind of just mm. has to be there really doesn't it um but i think in uh, in terms of traditional liveries the uh, the aston martin is uh, is fairly similar to to last time out i think again the uh, the alpha terry's had a bit of a change though that's um looking a bit more but they seem to have added a lot more color and paint to that one so they've uh, they've gone the other way compared to lots of other teams and there's a refreshing change but a nice uh, a nice tweak on a traditional livery is the ferrari it's got the uh, the uh, the standard issue now extra bits and pieces of, uh, of black and carbon fiber on it but that manages to look aggressive traditional and really rather quite nice. The only thing it's missing is uh, is gold wheel fairings because there was something about the uh, the mid-90s Ferraris with the gold wheels that, that look quite pretty to my eyes. After so seeing the video of that at Fiorano, it did look a very nice-looking car. It didn't. And, that, that was a nice launch Ferrari. as well. That yeah. was a very nice yes. launch because it was the actual car with the drivers at their testing circuit. They chucked up a grandstand, let a load of fans in so they could have a look at it, and it was just a, a nice day out, and here's the car, and, and it was actually running. Uh, so I think out of all the, the actual launches, that was the best one because, A, it was the car, it was the proper car, and, B, it was running, and, and C, they let the fans in to uh, to have a look at it. But I think probably the uh, usual different liveries of uh, of the Alpine team, we've had the uh, the BWT launch livery and then the, the normal livery of the blue and pink, again, much the same as last year. But back to uh, the livery of a couple of years ago, which I think has involved taking pretty much all the paint off it, is the Mercedes, which has gone back to black. They ran a, a black livery in deference to uh, various campaigns a couple of years ago and to support Lewis and support diversity and equality across the sport etc and, and send a message they've uh, they've gone back to that livery for different reasons weight saving but it's uh, I think there's there's virtually no paint there's a couple of stickers on it but manages to look quite evil and quite mean I do quite quite like the look of that but bit of a different shape on the uh, on the Mercedes I'd say out of all the the shapes of cars it seems to stand out to miles as being the most different and it has got a chunky old engine cover on it much like the alpine went last year it seems to have a, a lot of bits very high up but they've kept the um the minimal side pod arrangement let's hope the porpoising isn't a feature this year for most of the early races oh well, no i think the uh, the technical changes should in theory alleviate a good chunk of the porpoising in terms of uh, a raising that rear ride height and uh, and b setting parameters for maximum oscillation but of course you uh, you can dial the porpoising out of it very easily you just jack the ride height all the way up but then you lose all the performance so it'll uh, it'll be interesting i'm uh, i'm hoping for a uh, a return to form for mercedes so we can uh, we can cheer on friend of the podcast george russell as, uh, as he hopefully adds to his uh, his win tally this year we shall see as they always say if a car looks fast it normally is fast, and uh, and if it's winning, it's beautiful. So I think if the Mercedes goes as well as it looks, then uh, then he should be in for a good season. I saw an interesting piece of film of uh, Lewis and uh, George and Mick Schumacher before the the launch, and they all seem very easy in each other's company, and they seem very welcoming of of Mick Schumacher. So I think it's a uh, maybe he had a not such 
enjoyable season last and um, perhaps it'll do him some good to sit as a reserve driver for this season and see if he can find his feet again. So from return to form then to return for Ford, what do we think about this? Bearing in mind that they've just announced that they're laying off something like 65% of their workforce across Europe, including three thousand people i think it is in europe in mainland europe and then something like 1300 people in the uk uh, mostly losing all the development for engines uh, i guess body everything else that's done through dunton with an interest of moving pretty much everything back to america for their their development uh, for the, an eye on the future being completely electric they've chosen now to invest millions into going back into F1. Is this, do you think, a, a good move in terms of development of technology, in terms of marketing, or have they just lost the plot? Lost the plot, I think. Uh, it's compl- yeah, complete lost the plot. corporate madness, yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a, for, for a company that lost, uh, what was it, $2 billion last 2. year? $2 billion, to, I think. $2.2 like yep. So to be, uh, to be spending 30, 40, 50 million, whatever it is they're spending uh, with Red Bull, powertrains to be able to stick a sticker on the side of the car is um yeah i mean the the last time i was horrifically overdrawn and the credit card was maxed out and and i was going backwards financially i didn't waste a lot of money on silly shiny things that i didn't really need i mean it's you know when when you're overdrawn and uh, and the credit card's maxed out stop spending money on stuff you don't need i mean it's a uh, the the layoff of staff in europe um it's, it's, it can't be any surprise because they did this in America uh, not that long ago, didn't they? They basically said to everybody who worked on the, the internal combustion side, well, we're not going to need you anymore, so goodbye. We're going to hire a load of people who can do EV stuff with, without it seemed really considering that the people who'd worked on cars for years and years and years might actually know something about cars. I mean, okay, the powertrain is different, but an electric car is still a car. The 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 nvh the ride the handling the power delivery etc is is you know you still need to treat it as a car and the best electric cars are cars not electric cars not internal combustion powered cars they're just cars the the propulsion form doesn't really matter you know the some of the best cars in the world are diesel some of the best cars in the world are petrol you know, you, you don't sack your petrol engineers because you think diesel's a thing and, and the technology's different. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to me, but I think it's um, the, there's no actual Ford involvement in the development of the engine. I mean, I think they'll send a couple of work experience kiddies to sit in Milton Keynes and try and pick something up, but it's, I don't know, bad, badge engineering, green, it's, it's the, the racing equivalent of greenwashing, isn't it? It's, mm. it's they're there in name only. Um, but I think you know, Red Bull have been famously critical of um, engine partners in the past with uh, with Renault. I don't think they'll hesitate to drop Ford on their backside if uh, if things aren't going well. And particularly, Ford have said, "Oh, it's the the hybrid and the EV side we're interested in." Well, if uh, if all of a sudden Red Bull have a uh, a load of battery or harvesting failures, then uh, is that Ford's fault? Probably. Mm. This doesn't come actually into play really until 2026, so there's going to be a lot of marketing that happens before then. And at that point, a hybrid electric tech in cars will be on well, it'll be on on its its final phase, won't it? 2030, that uh, that that really needs to be 
ending for just internal combustion. Then 2035, as it stands at the moment, it will be electric only. So really, truly, there's only going to be nine years of which they can employ everything they've learned in hybrid electric uh, drivetrains into into road cars. So, hmm, not Again, sure. How, how would you feel if, if you worked for Ford uh, either if you're you're one of the the many thousands of people that's just been laid off, or you're one of the the people that remain, and you think, oh, hang on, Ford come out and say, oh, we're spending all this money, this is you know, and they, they haven't released the proper figures, but you can take a reasonable stab at it, and they say, oh, we're back in F one and this, that, the other, which is costing a fortune, and then you get laid off a couple of weeks later. It's like, oh, is is that what's paying for that? I mean, it can't it can't be great for the morale of the people that remain, no. can it? So. No, I mean Ford, Ford have a wonderful motorsport history uh, yeah. that go, goes back to the dawn of time. Uh, but if you unpick that history, you realise that almost invariably the capabilities, the design, the ingenuity hasn't come out of Dearborn, hasn't come out of Ford. It's come from outside. They brought in people uh, to do a job. Uh, would they have won Le Mans uh, without uh, the people in the UK? Uh, no. that, that put the car together um, and the people outside of Ford uh, that um, uh, engineered it and, and simply made it happen. No, they they would not. And, and you know, they, they, they had a go at this before with Jaguar and made a complete and utter mess of that. Um, they, they have uh, a lot of bad history of involvement with motorsport, very successful, but invariably it's success one at the cost of employing other people who do actually have some talent rather than uh, a collection of suits and bean counters. Well, of course, this you you mentioned this is obviously going to have massive fallout for the, the people, particularly now in Europe, who are going to be affected by this. I think it's a, the number that's been banded is 3,200 people are going to be um, cut loose by Ford. And that's Sacrificed. going to have an impact sacrificed exactly i mean the, in this country alone that's going to have a major impact because ford have a major development center obviously at dunton in essex i believe um you were talking about that on the local bbc news yeah i was yeah, I'm talking about it. i think i was sounding off i, I said <laughs> then i thought it was a pretty daft idea and i also one of the points that i was trying to make was if you've got a a, a group of people who have a history of very successful product development, as they do at Dunton. Why on earth would you decide to let all those people go? And the example I cited was, do you honestly think, if you're sitting high up in the Ford building, that Tesla are not going to spend as much as they can possibly afford on further development of their electric motors, further development of their battery technologies? No, they're not going to give up CPD. They're just going to invest constantly so why would you give up your development facilities it's just madness seems to me anyway madness yeah as you say the the ford's history in racing has been successful in terms of you know the badge or the logo's been there but the uh the cosworth ford cosworth dfe you know it was one yep. i think more in races than any other engine wasn't yep. actually really anything to do with ford was it uh, nope. last time ford had uh, a bit of success in F1. There was the title with Benetton Ford in 94, but even that was shrouded in a bit of controversy. And then the following year, Flavio ended up buying another team so that you could have the Renault engines and then swap those with another team and whatever else. So, And uh, and as you say, the Jaguar, the Stuart Ford Jaguar endeavour, which ultimately became Red Bull, was was an absolute cluster what's it towards the end, wasn't it? 
Indeed it was. And, mm. and I think Jackie was um, well out of that because I think he, he fa- well, conversation I had with him a long time ago about it was the fact that he wasn't able to do what he wanted to do with that team once Ford had uh, bought their way in. Again, they, they brought in people who thought they knew about racing and didn't. And uh, I think he was well out of it. The only thing positives I can take for this, well, I said the only positives I can take. I think a lot of people will question within Ford. You know, Jim Farley believes that that motorsport is important. He think he believes it's important to the Ford brand, and I I agree. I I would take that as a positive. I think that there's the potential for having maybe some sort of motorsport related special. RS or something similar that maybe have a hybrid technology in it that might they may make an exciting car yet as a as a final a final fling. That said, they did get their fingers rather burnt by the way they treated customers with the Mark Three Focus RS when they all went bang, or several of them went bang, and then fixed the problem later on down the line. Admittedly, but uh, I think probably there's potential anyway to have some sort of hybrid interesting Ford at the end of it. But I think what will Go around a lot of people's minds. People that work for Ford is that um, Jim Farley, who absolutely loves racing uh, and has started racing himself as a as a sort of semi professional gentleman racer. I'm not entirely sure, but nevertheless, has started racing himself and has been racing in in classic racing for a long time in a in a classic Ford GT and doing relatively okay. This is the is he steering this because it's something that interests him rather than it being what's right for the company? Possibly, I can understand. I could understand why people might think that. I'm not saying that that is the case, but yeah, I think there's it's an interesting time to be doing this um, when certainly cars, as far as as Ford are concerned, are pretty much done. Uh, we see a move. We've seen in, in the US some years ago um, that the move away from cars uh, and into only SUVs, trucks, and the the Mustang being the um, the only example really, which should. Again, we're, we're approaching the end of, of, of the Petrogender Mustang, aren't we, let's face it, being the only car. That reflects a, a, a peculiarly narrow-minded a, a American view of car making and um, reflects the American market, yes, mm-hmm. trucks and so on and so on and so on. That doesn't represent, I think, the European car market, and that's why I think no. they will come unstuck, and not for the first time, uh, of not understanding um, the European market. and. As a business model, does it make sense if you're the market leader, as they have been for many years in the UK market, and are a major player, if not the market leader, throughout Europe, why would you sacrifice that by saying, okay, we don't want to make little bread and butter cars anymore. We're going to take the brand up market. Mm. They tried that before and it didn't work. And every time they've bought their way into a premium car brand, it's gone wrong for them. Do they, do mm-hmm. they just not not learn by their past histories, by their past mistakes? As as uh, I, I recently quoted Enzo Ferrari, you saying, "You're not Henry Ford." I think it still <laughs> applies. Mm. There was a man with some uh, with some vision, and he wasn't a particularly likable individual, perhaps, but he knew what but he wanted to achieve. Yeah, he was very good at what he did. Ford's Ford's success really was in, as we know, in, in producing cars in in a way cheaper than anyone else could do by innovating and then latterly for for the uk at least in europe delivering cars that are mass market cars that are good fun to drive and of which the quality has been been pretty decent they've been keeping an eye they, at, at the time were always trying to aim 
for uh, for for Volkswagen whilst fighting off Vauxhall. I mean, I, I saw with interest that um, that Vauxhall are starting to capitalise on this already. The Corsa is now the best smell, uh, best smelling, <laughs> the best selling small car. <laughs> Maybe not the best smelling. I don't know. Um, but they're up- updating that with their new visor fronts now. To my mind and to my eye, Vauxhalls have suddenly become a lot more attractive in the way that they look. And if people are after a small car that looks quite nice and has a, an easy way of being able to plug your phone into it or not plug your phone into it, have it wireless, then suddenly it becomes attractive. And it's all very well reducing your, your product lineup in, in Europe and, and in the UK to effectively a small SUV, a medium SUV, some electric SUVs. But if there is an alternative and you only really want a car, are people going to be that fussed? Uh, you know, it, it's it's a very it, it's difficult to see this. Having had many many Fords over the years, and I know that many many people that be listening to this will have either owned or driven or have loved a, a Fiesta probably at some point in their life. I think I, I must have had tens of them. I must, I've had lots lots of Fiestas, but it, it's it's interesting seeing the reaction online um, even now on on the various different socials. Whenever something comes up, they go, "Well, it's not a Fiesta, is it?" Or I've had one of those for years, and it's it's part of, it's almost part of um, the fabric of this country, much in the same way that the transit is. The difference is that neither my mate or you know that's who wants a car, or my you know my great aunt, or I don't know my son when when he's learning to drive is going to probably want to be driving a transit. Lovely as they are, they aren't a small car, are they? And if you have the option of that, well, okay, then what's left? I'll have a Polo or an Ibiza or a Corsa or whatever. People will just buy that instead. No, uh, actually, that's a, a good uh, good thing for this week, actually. Let's uh, let's all have a hunt around, uh, pretend to be a 17-year-old male again, get an insurance quote <laughs> on uh, on a Fiesta and an insurance quote on a rear-wheel drive Transit. It would be interesting to see if the transit came out cheaper and it would be infinitely more useful and it would make your lad infinitely more popular. Yes. That's maybe not a bad idea. But they're but also the cost of the, four uh, fiestas, aren't they? That's the other problem. Well, they, yeah, this is, uh, well, yeah, this is true. But um, residually, in theory, slightly better. But it's, um, yeah, so I think the uh, it's an odd one with, uh, with Ford coming back as a, a manufacturer, in inverted commas. I mean, not really. But, of course, we've got Alfa, Romeo, Ferrari, Sauber becoming Sauber any minute now, and then Audi. Uh, so we've got Audi back and... Porsche back at some point and Ford back. And, and GM. Oh, hang on, we've also GM, Cadillac, and oh, hang on, mm. we seem to have more manufacturers than we have teams on the grid now. So it's uh, it's almost going to be a, a bit like if you played motorsport manager, you know, Grand Prix manager on, uh, on the PC many years ago, and you get 10 seasons into it, and the game would completely randomise which engine was supplying which team, and you'd almost end, you know, at one point I think you could end up with a Ferrari with a Lamborghini engine in the back of it. But I think we're, <laughs> we're almost going to end up like that in a couple of years, because we've got Honda through their um, their sort of dilly-dallying, are we in, are we out? No, actually we're out, so let's just give everything to Red Bull for a quid. Oh no, actually we're in. Oh no, hang on, we need to do something else. They have signed up and, and committed to the, uh, the 2026 regulation, so one rumour that's been floating around is McLaren Honda again. Third time lucky, maybe who knows? But it's mm-hmm. uh, you you couldn't have seen that occurring when they split last time. But then of course you couldn't have seen Alonso going back there after two thousand and seven. So we're we're going to have a very very weird and very very different picture of teams and manufacturers in uh, in a few years. I think. 
I think that's going to be the same across the entire automotive industry, though. If you look at who's left now, you've got Stellantis, who are, I mean, who aren't they, really? <laughs> yeah, so you've got, uh, I mean, who is in Stellantis? We've got uh, Fiat, Chrysler, yes. um, Peugeot, Citroën, DS, yeah, Vauxhall. Yeah, yeah, Citroën, yes, definitely being the same thing. Vauxhall, obviously, in there as well. Um and I, I, you can see what's what's going to happen. It's it's, it's going to be huge multi sites where they're servicing the the same vehicle with a different badge on the front. Um, and then you've got uh, obviously the the Volkswagen Group. So you've got Volkswagen, Audi, Seat, Skoda, um, Bugatti. Um, you know, there's there's, there's going to be very few individual makers out there. I suspect by the time it gets to the end, it, it's a very very weird mix. But pleasingly. It does mean that we occasionally get some incredible Frankenstein cars. There's one thing I do want to mention before we go. We were all looking and laughing and kind of loving something else I found in one of the many groups uh, that I'm in on Facebook. And someone has taken the time and effort to take a Mark II Ford KA, which is the rubbish Fiat-based one, and get all the bits from a 500R bath and basically stuff them inside to make what must be an excellent sleeper. It's mapped to about 220 horsepower, weighs about as much as a shoe. And <laughs> aside from some bit too obvious bonnet vents, and, which don't seem to be doing anything, which is particularly bizarre, I couldn't see they went through the inside of the bonnet. So they'd have to go. Aside from some bonnet vents, I think would be a remarkably good fun sleeper. We do like a sleeper. I do think it would have just been easier to buy in a bath in the first place, or am I missing the point? I think you're missing the point entirely. Yeah, I think the, the okay. point of this is that no one's going to expect to see a little bubble, cutesy Ford KA plop alongside them at the traffic lights. And we say KA instead of car, of course, because if you just said it's a Ford car, everyone goes, which car and the rest of it? So, uh, we know it's supposed to be a car rather than a cow or KA, but just it's in capital letters. It says KA. Anyway, um, so aside from the bonnet vents, would would make an excellent sleeper. The idea that maybe you could fit some big steelies to this and I don't know, just, just go out there and really upset a few people, I think would be absolutely hilarious. Uh, long live the sleeper, even if he is four grand into it so far, plus the cost of the car, so he reckons. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for sleepers. Yeah, I believe the thing is bone stockers you could get away with and then just go and humiliate people at traffic lights. What fun. Childish, but fun. Best kind of fun. Let's get it whilst we still can. And I guess on that note, it's probably time to say goodnight to everybody, or goodbye, or good morning, or whichever it is. Good day to you. There you are. Good day. I hope you've enjoyed good, listening good to day. us. Good day always sounds very abrupt. Good day. Good day to you, sir. Good I said good day. day to you, sir. Oh. <laughs> That's it. Good day to you all. I hope you've enjoyed listening, and uh, as always, check us out on the socials. We are at UK Motor Talk everywhere and if there's anything you particularly want to talk about or indeed you want to show us your sleeper i try to say that with uh, without uh, losing my teeth then by all means do let us know we would love to see it until then take care of yourself goodbye 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 from I and goodbye UK Motor Talk a first take media production